<clears throat> hey, what is up, you guys? This is Corey and Allison with the Life Sauce Podcast. My name is Allison. And I'm Corey. <sighs> there we go. Mm, popsicle. Ice cream. Ice cream. So, we both have something we're going to talk about. I guess this is going to be a two-part episode. Not yeah. two-part, but... Just an episode. Two-subject episode. There's more than that because you have stuff to talk about before. Uh-huh. Well, for updates. Uh-huh. Well, okay. First things first, I competed yesterday at uh, Fight to Win. And my first match went horribly. I got arm barred in like 25 seconds because this guy was a horrible sandbagger. And if you don't know what sandbagging is, it's when somebody who's way higher than a white belt competes at white belt level. Or, you know, if they're purple, they could be competing at blue, whatever. And it was obvious. This guy was all about that jujitsu life and that tournament life. He had the colored hair. He had the expensive gi. Um, he was just being rude. Oh, yeah. He's pretty rude, too. Not to me. He was nice to me. But yeah, he armbarred me in 25 seconds, and I could just tell him, like, this isn't a white belt. And then at Fight to Win, you get two matches because you get to fight for bronze. My second match went about four minutes. I ended up getting submitted in the end, but it was much more back and forth. Like, I got in, got dominant grips, but he managed to snap me down and get into side control. two true white belts going against yep. each other. Two true white belts. So, he snapped me down, took my side. He got into side control. Not a big deal. Uh, he eventually went to a scarf hold, which is where he messed up because I sweeped him from scarf hold because I like this sweep that you do. And I held him in side control for, like, a minute, and then he ended up sweeping me and ended up in mountain ended up after a few minutes getting a uh, cross collar choke where i tapped out so it was a good match you know i'm not disappointed in the way that match went this is my first tournament so yeah not bad it was fun so allison do you know what you want to talk about today do you want to go first or second i'll go second okay Okay. Popsicle. Oh, it's so good. Wow, you guys can hear Corey chew with his lips, too. Mm Mm-hmm. It's such a good popsicle, man. It's those, um... Hmm. Well, what are these called? I don't know. They're like a Mexican ice cream. It's like a creamy mango flavor. It's really good. has mango bits in it. It's like a popsicle. It's really ice cream. Yeah, but it's ice cream. It's not like just frozen juice like a popsicle is. This is like actual ice cream. Like creamy and like, I don't know. It's ice cream. You get it in Colorado. I'm sure you can get it in like the um, states where there's a higher Latino population. You can't get these in Pennsylvania. I'll go try that. Anyways. Bad time to be eating, huh? I'm doing just fine. Anyways, speaking of Pennsylvania, we're going to be covering The Devil's Road. Allison has never heard of it. Cossert Road. I've heard of it because you've told me about it. What do you know about it? Is that the one with the baby dead tree? That's one of them. Yeah, that's one part of it. Devil baby tree at the end of the road. Not at the end, yeah. Uh, well, no, okay. at the end of the road, there's a mansion okay, where a so, bunch of devil worshippers live. Okay, okay. Before you get too far, let's get into it. You're going to be giving away my only thing I've researched. You asked me if I knew. All you had to see was say it was baby tree. So, oh my God. I bet this is like... Check that out. I got an email from... What the fuck? <clears throat> I'll get the hell out of here. Anyway, some scam email. Well, there's a place in southeastern Pennsylvania. I'm stuffy. Uh, there's a place called in southeastern Pennsylvania called the Devil's Road. The real name is Cossert Road. And, you know, just for... Uh, 
just to tell you all, I'm not from southeastern Pennsylvania. I'm from southwestern Pennsylvania on the opposite side of the state. So, goddamn, pollen. Um, this road, uh, it's hard to find because people take down the signs or steal the signs and there's, like, no trespassing or, like, turnaround signs and stuff like that. But it's not too far from Philadelphia. Um... The easiest way to explain it, I'm not. Even, I'm just gonna dive deep into it real quick. So, it's a couple miles long, and when you're going down this road in Pennsylvania, you you realize that all the trees, not all of them, a lot of the trees are, they they grew facing a certain direction, right? Like they grow normally upwards, and all of a sudden their tree ban- tree branches like bend, like they go. A certain direction, like normal, then bends a certain direction. All of them in the same direction. Away from the road, right? Away from the... Mm, I wouldn't say the road. It, they do bend away from the road. But they're, but not, some of them... I'll explain it soon, what the theory is. Or what the urban legend is. And the thing is about these trees is that there is a house... Supposedly, at the end of this road... Uh, called the cult house and they believe so much evil has been done at the cult house that the trees started growing away from it to try to escape the evil energy and uh, we'll get into the cult house soon so the more you travel down this road you'll notice well no it got cut down there was a tree where the roots were sticking up out of the ground in the shape of a skull if you looked at it at the right angle please stop kicking the ball into my microphone stand I have to edit that. <laughs> now she's doing it. Gosh dang it. Anyways, the dog's going to be happy. We're going on a nice long drive today. Um, so, in this tree with the roots shaped like a skull, people claimed that they have found a dead baby in that tree and that it was used as an altar for satanic sacrifice. Now, I don't know how true that is, but... They cut down this tree, not because of that, but because people would go down this road and vandalize the tree. They would graffiti it, and it's kind of weird to graffiti a tree. But, you know, that's long gone. People just thought it was used for human sacrifice and whatnot. Because I thought people actually started going out there and doing weird rituals. Yeah, we'll get to that. To the tree, at least. We'll get like to that. Like, that's fact. Yeah, we'll get to that. So... Here's the stipulation about the house, right? So when you get to the end of Casa Road, people people claim to see the devil on this road. But when people get down that road, all the way down to the cult house, it's like a, it's a stone mansion uh, with the windows blacked out. Some claim that the windows are in the shape of upside-down crosses and whatever, and they see things in the windows of this house. So the house is... The people claim the house was owned by the DuPont family. Do you know who the DuPont family is? Bad. Well, they're they're a really rich, like crazy wealthy family. People consider them to be one of the thirteen families that rule the world, or like they like to call it the the satanic the thirteen satanic families, whatever. Uh, that it's kind of like a far fetch for me. Maybe like Rothschilds. I don't know about DuPonts, but they had so much money that. They what people claim the legend is about this road is that they would practice incest to keep the money in the family. So, you know, they had billions. I don't know. You never know what people's true wealth are. Like uh, a lot of the elites, people think they actually have trillions of dollars and people have already broken trillions. But, you know, they're one of the wealthiest families ever the DuPonts, so they practiced incest to keep the money in the family. They didn't want to give it to any other families and make anybody else wealthy. They wanted to hoard it. And in that house, they would keep their abominations, like all their crazy, deformed kids, and, uh, you know, maybe they'd sacrifice them, That part of the legend. But people claimed to see disformed children in the windows and uh, stuff like that. But... You know, the family apparently eventually moved out of the house and a satanic group, I guess you could say, 
moved into the house and they say there's rituals where they all, you know, summon the devil to try to gain wealth and that that, you know, down that road is really haunted and uh, people, there's videos on YouTube today of people actually getting chased out of Cossert Road by red and black trucks and people in robes with glowing eyes and then the videos seem pretty legit, I'm not going to lie. So, that's pretty much where that urban legend ends. So, that's pretty much all there is to that. Would you ever go down Cossert Road? No. Do you believe part of the legends? I believe I'm not willing to risk it. Is there any legends like that? Oh, there is one legend, right? Similar, not super similar. I'm going to edit all that out. I'm sorry. It's just. It's all right. If you don't talk, it'll be easier to edit. So just adjust and then speak. That way I don't have to cut out any of your voice. Good? I think so. Okay. So I know I was just on the topic of Cossard Road, but it's not an in-depth timeline because there is no timeline. It's just an urban legend like, hey, a satanic cult lives there and the DuPonts used to live there and practice incest and there's a sacrificial tree. That's it. That's really all there is to it. Now, there's something not quite similar to that in Colorado, but something just as creepy close to where we live is the three bridges on Gold Camp Road. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Oh, you've never been there. Well, you've oh, not bridges, three tunnels. You've been through the two. You haven't been to the third one. Okay, so the third one requires you to park at the top of Cheyenne Canyon on Gold Camp Road and walk to it. It's about like two miles. So, so the legend is, you know that? I don't know if you've been up there. Well, we can, uh, no. You've never been up there? Okay. Mm. So the legend is that I've been to that third tunnel. It's pretty creepy. So it's, it's actually barred off from you going inside this tunnel. So Gold Camp used to go a lot further which is a road that goes on the mountainsides in Colorado, in the springs, actually. And um, you can you go through the first tunnel, you know, you're allowed to, you can go through the second tunnel, but then before you get to the third tunnel, the road ends, and it's just a hiking trail. And um, that's the top of Cheyenne Canyon by the falls. So, yeah, you either have to leave Gold Camp and go down through Cheyenne Canyon to leave, or turn around. Because if you hike to the third tunnel, which you do, it's barred off, there's a lot of weird debris in there, and uh, you can eventually just keep going because it used to be a road, but now it's a trail. And uh, the legend is that there was a school bus that went through there full of, I don't remember if it was like disabled children or like whatever, but apparently the tunnel collapsed and they all died. But that that doesn't make much sense to me because you can go to that tunnel today and it's not collapsed. There's a lot of rocks from the ceiling in that tunnel, but it doesn't make any sense that it collapsed on those children. But people claim that third tunnel is really haunted. Why would a bus be up there? To go to go from uh, it's one of it's one of the roads that's faster to go to Victor in Cripple Creek. Or it used to be. So instead of going, you know, you can get to Cripple Creek from Old Stage, right? I've taken you up Old Stage once, right? I don't remember. Is that the one through uh, Garden of the Gods? No, that's Rampart Range. So, old, I think we did Old Stage one time. Yeah, Old Stage goes to Cripple Creek and Victor, and so did Gold Camp at one point until that third tunnel was closed, and it became in disrepair. I just can't imagine they would send a school bus on that road, period. That's why I don't think it was disabled children. I think it was like a, a team, like a soccer team, football team, whatever, playing the Springs, and they're like, well, this is the way faster route. I don't know, it just seems dumb to go on that road in a big bus to me. Here, let me look it up, because um, I swear that's the, <clears throat> the urban legend. Well, urban legend's not a fact. Yeah. Hold on. Because uh, it's not a paved road, it's a really sketchy dirt road. And every winter it gets so eroded that it takes them a while to fix it. And they don't even fix it all the way. So let's see, the Haunted Tunnels of Gold Camp Road. I might as well read it. It'll add length to this podcast. Some people believe in ghosts, some people don't. However, if you're someone that enjoys hunting down the spooky and paranormal places around the world, Colorado is home to some of the creepiest. Several places around the Centennial State are sure to send shivers down your spine. 
If you're from Colorado Springs area, there's a good chance of you, you're well aware of the tunnels on Gold Camp Road, a spectacular drive that curves its way through North Cheyenne Canyon. There are three tunnels in total, one of which is sealed off by huge gates and located past where cars can easily drive. Various stories surrounded or surround what makes these tunnels haunted, but the story behind what's haunting the third tunnel is the most jarring. Years ago, this tunnel was said to have collapsed when a school bus collided with it, killing the driver and all the children aboard. Hmm. No one is really sure what happened, but at some point, the driver lost control of the vehicle, slamming into part of the rock. What happened afterwards is, un is also unconfirmed. We know the tunnel collapsed, but whether the rock falling crashed the bus instantly or simply trapped it inside remains unclear. Nowadays, hikers report hearing laughter in the area and cars able to get close enough to have found tiny handprints in window fog. Some people feel tugging on their clothes and have reported finding scratches on their skin with no recollection of abrasive impact during their hike. This may all be coincidence, but perhaps it's not. Uh, the first two tunnels don't have a similar well-known disaster surrounding them, but they have spawned their own list of mysterious happenings throughout the years. From freak, accident, uh, from freak accidents to peculiar happenings, one of the most famous ways to get Ways to test for ghouls in the areas. Well, everybody knows this. You put baby powder on your car and drive it through and put it in neutral and they push it, whatever. But that that's the, the mystery of the third tunnel. And a, me thinking a bus going fast enough on a dirt road like that, especially a washboard road like Gold Camp is, to be able to impact that rock and kill everybody on impact or... I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. <clears throat> I don't know if I believe it. It just sounds like an urban legend to me. But that's that's what's similar here. What's your story, or what what's your topic? I didn't read all the way through, but it's a article in the Smithsonian Magazine about what is their name? Hey. What's your name? Okay. Ezekiel. How long is this? Uh, it's kind of long. <laughs> oh, it's not that long. Okay. Um, for nearly four decades, anyone driving down Route 16 near Fay Fayetteville, West Virginia. Oh, I live near there. Could see a billboard bearing the grainy images of five children, all dark-haired and solemn-eyed. Their names and ages, Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louis, 9, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5, stenciled beneath, along with speculations about what happened to them. Fayetteville was and is a small town with a main street that doesn't run longer than 100 yards, and rumors always played a larger role in the case than evidence. No one even agreed on whether the children were dead or alive. What everyone knew for certain was that was this. On the night before Christmas, 1945, George and Jenny Sauter and the nine of their ten children went to sleep. One son was away in the Army. Around 1 a.m., a fire broke out. George and Jenny oh, and four Sauter of their family. children escaped, but the other five were never seen again. Would you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you get my glasses? Where are they at? They should be on the table on top of my book. Glasses time. My eyes are all weird today. Drink iced coffee. Panic attack. Thank you. You're welcome. Let me clean them real quick with my shirt. Ah, I've heard slightly about the Sodder children, but I don't remember the details at all. Um, I didn't read the whole thing, so we'll be discovering this together. We'll be discovering this I was just trying to together. find a good disappearance case, because all of them were pretty short. This one seemed a little more promising. This one has a lot of stuff to it. I just don't remember this one. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's so much better. <laughs> okay. George had tried to save them, breaking a window to re-enter the house, slicing a swath of skin from his arm, 
He could see nothing through the smoke and fire which had swept through all of the downstairs rooms, living and dining room, kitchen, office, and his and Jenny's bedroom. He took frantic stock of what he knew two-year-old Sylvia, whose crib was in their bedroom, was safe outside, as was 17-year-old Marion and two sons, and two sons, 23-year-old John and 16-year-old George Jr., who had fled the upstairs bedrooms they shared, uh, singeing their hair on the way out. He figured Maurice, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty still had to be up there, cowering in two bedrooms on either end of the hallway, separated by a staircase that was now engulfed in flames. He raced back outside, hoping to reach them through the upstairs windows, but the ladder he always kept propped up against the house was strangely missing. An idea struck. He would drive one of his two coal trucks up to the house and climb atop it to reach the windows, but even though they'd functioned perfectly the day before, neither would start now. He ransacked his mind for another option. He tried to scoop water from a rain barrel, but found it frozen solid. Five of his children were stuck somewhere inside those great whipping ropes of smoke. He didn't notice that his arm was slick with blood, that his voice hurt from screaming their names. Uh, his daughter, Marion, sprinted to a neighbor's home to call the Fayetteville Fire Department, but couldn't get any operator response. A neighbor who saw the blaze made a call from a nearby tavern, but again no operator responded. Exasperated, the neighbor drove in town and tracked down Fire Chief F.J. Morris, who initiated Fayetteville's version of a fire alarm. <coughs> a phone tree system whereby one firefighter phoned another who phoned another the fire department was only two and a half miles away but the crew the crew didn't arrive until 8 a.m by which point the starter's home had been reduced to a smoking pile of ash george and jenny assumed that five of their children were dead but a brief search of the grounds on christmas day turned up no trace of remains chief morris suggested the blaze had been Hot enough to completely cremate the bodies, a state police inspector combed to the rubble and attributed the fire to faulty wiring, which is bullshit. Fire prediction, like how it's caused, is bullshit science. They just say that because there's if the house is reduced to ash, how the fuck are you going to know? Yeah, exactly. Just like when a forest fire is the largest one the state's ever seen. Unless someone reported that they started the fire on accident, there's no way you know. Yeah, no way. It's, a, it's bullshit science, just so you know. Uh, where was I? I just had to say that. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. George covered the basement with five feet of dirt, intending to preserve the site as a memorial. The coroner's office issued five death certificates just before the new year, attributing the causes to fire or suffocation. Uh, George Sauter was born Giorgio Sadu Sodu in Tula, Sardinia in 1895 and immigrated to the United States in 1908 when he was 13. An older brother who had accompanied him to Ellis Island immediately returned to Italy, leaving George on his own. He found work on the Pennsylvania Railroad carrying water and supplies to the laborers, and after a few years moving to Smithers, West Virginia, smart and ambitious, he first worked as a driver and then launched his own trucking company hauling dirt for construction and later freight and coal. One day, he walked into a local store called The Music Box and met the owner's daughter, Jenny Cipriani, I can't read words, who had come over from Italy when she was three. They married and had ten children between 1923 and 1943. Wow. And settled in Fayetteville, West Virginia, an Appalachian town with small but active Italian immigrant community. The Sodders were, said one country magistrate, one of the most respected middle-class families around. George held strong opinions about everything from business to current events and politics, but was, for some reason, uh, ret- 
reticent. R-E-T-I-C-E-N-T. I don't know that word. Was, I guess you could just say he was, uh, didn't want to talk about his youth. He never explained what happened back in Italy to make him want to leave. I don't know big words. Thank you. Okay. The Sodders planted flowers across the space where their house had stood and began to stitch together a series of odd moments leading up to the fire. There was a stranger who appeared at the homes, at the home a few months earlier back in the fall. What is she eating? Her food. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> uh, fuck, where was I? Uh, oh, there was a stranger who appeared at the home a few months earlier back in the fall asking about hauling work he meandered to the back of the house pointed to two separate fuse boxes and said this is going to cause a fire someday strange doors thought especially since he had just had the wiring checked by a local power company which pronounced it fine in fine condition around the same time another man tried to sell the family insurance and became irate when george declined your goddamn house is gonna is going up in smoke he warned and your children are going to be destroyed you're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. George was indeed outspoken about his dislike for the Italian dictator, occasionally engaging in heated arguments with other members of Fayetteville's Italian community, and at the time didn't take the man's threat seriously. The older Sodder's son also recalled something peculiar. Just before Christmas, they noticed a man parked along U.S. Highway 21, intently watching the younger kids as they came home from school. Around 12.30 Christmas morning, after the children had opened a few presents and everyone had gone to sleep, the shrill ring of a telephone broke the quiet. Jenny rushed to answer it. An unfamiliar female voice asked for an unfamiliar name. There was ruckus laughter and glasses clinking in the background. Jenny said, you have the wrong number, and hung up. Tiptoeing back up to bed, she noticed that all of the downstairs lights were still on and the curtains open. The front door was unlocked. She saw Marion asleep on the sofa in the living room and assumed that the other kids were upstairs in bed. She turned out the lights, closed the curtains, locked the door, and returned to her room. She had just begun to doze when she heard one sharp, loud bang on the roof and then a rolling noise. An hour later, she roused once again, this time by heavy smoke curling into her home. So it's obvious that the Italian mafia did it. Maybe not the mafia. Mafia. Mafia, it might just be Italian immigrants that were siding with Mussolini. Mafia. You know Mussolini is, right? I'm just saying that normal people aren't in the in the in the running for burning down someone's home. Yeah. And stealing their children. Which is that is, is that all there is? Having. No. Okay. I'm just saying what I'm uh picking up here. Need a stretch. Oh. oh, baby, so sad. Don't worry. Okay. Uh. <coughs> okay. Uh. Itchy. Jenny couldn't understand how five children could perish in a fire and leave no bones, no flesh, nothing. She conducted a private experiment burning animal bones, chicken bones, beef joints, pork chop bones to see if the fire consumed them. Each time she was left with a heap of charred bones. She knew that remnants of various household appliances had been found in the burned out basement, still identifiable. An employee at a crematorium informed her that bones remain after bodies are burned for two hours at 2,000 degrees. Their house was destroyed in 45 minutes. The collection of odd moments grew. A telephone repairman told the Sodders that their lines appeared to have been cut, not burned. They realized that if the fire had been electrical, the result of faulty wiring, as the officials reported it, the official reported stating, then the power would have been dead. So how to explain the light, the lighted downstairs rooms? A witness came forward claiming he saw a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle used for removing car engines. Could he be the reason George's trucks refused to start? 
One day, while the family was visiting the site, Sylvia found a hard rubber object in the yard. Jenny recalled hearing a hard thud on the roof, the rolling sound. George concluded it was napalm uh, of the type used in warfare. Uh. Hmm. Then came reports of sightings. A woman claimed to have seen missing children peering from a passing car. Claimed to have seen the missing children peering from a passing car while the fire was in progress. A woman operated a tourist stop uh, between Fayetteville and Charleston, some 50 miles west. Said she saw the children the morning after the fire. I served them breakfast, she told police. There was a car with a Florida license plate at the tourist court, too. A woman at Charleston Hotel saw the children's photos in a newspaper and said she had seen four of the five a week after the fire. The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction, she said in a statement. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. Hmm. <laughs> Why were you looking over there like that? It's weird. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's awfully suspicious. You you do find bones. Mm. Hey, Bixby. What's the hottest a wood fire burns? Okay, here's what I found online. You need to unlock your device to do this. They're gonna love this bullshit. Hold on. Let's see. Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Hey, back up. Go, back up. Anyways, let's see. I want to know what the hottest wood is. Hold on. This is so <laughs> stupid. How hot can a wood fire get? There we go. How hard was that? Yeah, a wood fire only gets about 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit. So they would have found bones. You see what I mm. The Italians did it. What do you? What else do you got? Is there any more damning evidence towards anybody else? Uh, sorry. <laughs> In 1947, George and Jenny sent a letter about the case to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, and received a reply from J. Edgar Hoover. What? Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. Hoover's agents said they would assist if they could get permission from the local authorities, but the Fayetteville police and fire departments declined the offer. Sounds like they were in on it to me. If they're Italians, they might have been in on it. Yeah. Next, the Sodders turned to a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley, who discovered that the insurance salesman who had threatened George was a member of the coroner's jury that deemed the fire accidental. Da-da. He also heard a curious story from a Fayetteville minister about F.J. Morris, the fire chief. Although Morris had claimed no remains were found, he supposedly confided that he'd discovered a heart in the ashes. He hid it inside a dynamite box and buried it, buried it at the scene. Wait, 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 wait. So they found a heart? Like a human heart? Um, I guess. A heart would have burned up. Yeah. And, and somebody's heart just doesn't fall out of their body, like... If everything else is getting cremated in a fire. Not unless it got Indiana Jonesed. Oh, man, this doesn't sound right. Keep going. Okay. Tinsley persuaded Morris to show them the spot. Together they dug up the box and took it straight to a local funer 
funeral director who poked and prodded the heart uh, and concluded it was a beef liver untouched by the fire. Soon afterward, the Sodders heard rumors that the fire chief had told others that the contents of the box had not been found in the fire at all, that he had buried the beef liver in the rubble in hopes that they were finding any remains would placiate the family long enough to stop the investigation. Oh, so they're being sneaky. Oh, look, we found an organ. That must be one of your children. They died. You don't have to worry about investigating any further. Oh, my God. This has fishy written all over it, dude. Over the next few years, the tips and leads continued to come. George saw a newspaper photo of school children in New York and was convinced that one of them was his daughter, Betty. He drove to Manhattan in search of the child, but her parents refused to speak to him. In August 1949, the Sodders decided to mount a new search at the fire scene and brought a Washington, D.C. pathologist named Oscar B. Hunter. The excavation was thorough, uncovering several small objects, damaged coins, a partially burned dictionary, and several shards of vertebrae. Hunter sent the bones to the Smithsonian Institution, which uh, ensued the following report. The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual One individual, since the transverse recesses are fused. The age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. The top limit of age should be about 22, uh, since the centra, which normally fuses at 23, are still uninfused. On the bias, the bones show greater skeletal maturation than one would expect for a 14-year-old boy the oldest missing solder child. It is, however, possible, although not probable, for a boy 14 and a half years old to show 16 to 17 uh, maturation. Uh, the vertebrae showed no evidence that they had been exposed to fire, the report said, and it's very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful evacuation of the basement of the house. Noting that the house reportedly burned for only about half an hour or so, it said that one would expect to find the full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae. The bones, the report concluded, were most likely in the supply of dirt George used to fill the basement to create the memorial for his children. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that, okay, for, for one, you wouldn't just find some vertebrae and then nobody else's bones. And two, that he picked a random pile of dirt and it just happened to have human remains in it. Like, well, because was it the hotel lady that said there was only four children or was that the restaurant lady? Don't remember. What I do remember. One of them only saw four children. How many children were there? Five? Yeah. And they're all missing? Yeah. Every single one of them. I'm just saying the oldest boy could have gotten whacked for uh, resisting or something. And they just buried him. Mm. But I don't, uh, if he got the dirt from near his house, that would make sense. I don't recall if he got the dirt by his house or not. Yeah, but, 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 they, they covered it up recently. Like, it, it wasn't, oh man, that's rough. I feel like if they were running out of the house, they would have saw people around the house, right? And if they would have whacked that kid, they would have heard it. No, not necessarily. She kept the lady kept going back to sleep after every weird sound she heard. Oh, you're right. Someone could have invaded the house and took the children out beforehand. Oh man. Here, here's the first. Is that all? No. Okay, let's keep going. Okay. We'll 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 continue. We'll talk about it after. In fact, pause. Let me go do something real quick. Close in the dryer. La 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 la. La 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 Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm tired. It's only 11.30 in the morning and I'm tired. Here he come. Okay. Okay, I'm ready to go further into this... Let... Let, let's go further. Okay. The Smithsonian report prompted two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston, after which Governor Oakley 
L. Patterson and State Police Superintendent W.E. Burchett told the Sodders their search was hopeless and declared the case closed. Uh, undeterred, George said Jenny erected the billboard along Route 16 and passed out flyers offering a $5,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of their children. They soon increased the amount to $10,000. A, a letter arrived from a woman in St. Louis saying the oldest girl, Martha, was in a convent there. Another tip came from Texas where a patron in a bar overheard an incriminating conversation about the long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Someone in Florida came, claimed the children were staying with a distant relative of Jenny's. George traveled to the country to investigate each lead, always returning home without any answers. In 1968, more than 20 years after the fire, Jenny went to get the mail and found an envelope addressed to only her. It was postmarked in Kentucky, in Kentucky, but had no return address. Inside was a photo of a man in his mid-twenties. On its flip side, a cryptic handwritten note read, Louis Sauter, I love Brother Frankie. Uh, Ill Lil Boys? A90132 or 35. She said George couldn't deny the resemblance. She and George couldn't deny the resemblance uh, to their Louis, who was nine at the time of the fire. Beyond the obvious similar... I can't read anymore. Beyond the obvious similarities, dark curly hair, dark brown eyes, they had the same straight, strong nose, the same upward tilt of the left eyebrow. Once again, they hired a private, in, a private detective and sent him to Kentucky. They never heard from him again. They never heard from that detective again? Nope. That dude's been murdered. Pops. Oh, my God. The Sodders feared that if they pushed or published the letter or the name of the town on the postmark, they might harm their son. Instead, they amended the billboard to include the updated image of Lewis and hung an enlarged version over the fireplace. Time is running out for us, George said in an interview, but we only want to know if they did die in the fire. We want to be... We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. He died a year later in 1968, still hoping for a break in the case. Jenny erected a fence around her property and began adding rooms to, their, to her home, building layer after layer between her and the outside since the fire. She had worn black exclusively as a sign of mourning and continued to do so until her death in 1989. The billboard finally came down. Her children and grandchildren children continued the investigation and came up with theories of their own the local mafia had tried to recruit him and declined they tried to extort money from him and he refused the children were kidnapped by someone they knew someone who burst into the unlocked front door told them about the fire and offered to take them someplace safe they might not have survived the night if they had and if they lived for decades if it really was Lewis in that photograph, they failed to contact their parents only because they wanted to protect them. The youngest and last surviving solder child, Sylvia, is now 69 and doesn't believe her siblings perished in the fire. When time permits, she visits crime sleuthing websites and engages with people still interested in her family's mystery. Her very first memories are of that night in 1945 when she was two years old. She will never forget the sight of her father bleeding or the terrible symphony of everyone screaming, and she is no closer to understanding why. That's it? Yep. I mean, the first thing that threw me off was the fire department didn't show up for a long time. They couldn't even contact an operator. Yeah. And their phone lines were down, right? No. The truck wouldn't start. Fishy. Uh, the fire department didn't show up. Fishy. The local Italians were pissed at him. Fishy. Salesman. Three people or two people predicted that their house would burn down. Super fucking fishy. Um, I would say threat. Threatened. Yeah. Rather than predicted. Threatened, yeah. So, there's vertebrae found that was older than any of their children. Technically. 
technically, technically older than their children. And even so, it was just a few pieces of vertebrae. There'd be way more skeletal pieces than that. Wood fires only burn around 1,100 degrees, and it only burned for 30 to 45 minutes. Um, no, dude, that was that was definitely a town plot. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand what they gained from it. That's what he gets for going against their lord and savior dictator Mussolini. I don't know, man. Well, here's the thing. Why would they keep the children alive? Like, say, See, if those pictures were real and those children did live, why? What's their motive? Selling them. To who? If one of them was in New York, they could have sold it to a family in New York. If one was in Texas, they could have sold it to a family in Texas. I guess that makes sense. Back then, it was a lot easier to fake, you know, social security cards or whatever. I don't even know if those were a thing back then. Yeah, they were. So. Maybe. I don't know. Actually. The guy died in the 60s trying to figure out what happened to his kid. The woman died in in the late 80s. And one of the daughters are still alive. That's crazy. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this? kind of obvious it's obvious uh that it wasn't an accident and it's obvious that it was most likely italians or entirely obvious that it was italians uh punishing him for his opinion yeah i wonder if the mafia had anything to do with it the mafia was a thing back in the 40s but you know it might have been the mafia man Well, what other reason would any of them have to just destroy him when a dictator was probably just letting the mafia do shit that they wanted and that guy was like, fuck that shit. So everyone that was like, this guy's spitting some facts. Here this really influential middle class guy with a big old family trash talking their dictator, even though they lived in America. I I don't know. It's just crazy to hear. Maybe, Maybe the Italians were like, fuck Americans. Oh, yeah, definitely, because Americans were racist against everybody back then. Oh, yeah, they were definitely racist against Italians. So when they hear one of their fellow Italians siding with Americans on his ideals of of Mussolini, maybe that's what happened. Probably. And most of the town was Italian, so they're probably most of them in on it, especially since some of them were in with the courts. That's what it sounds like to me. I believe that it wasn't, I don't, for one, an accidental fire. For one, that sounds like bullshit. Um, some, they said, like, one of the departments came out, like, the electrical department was like, this is fine. Hmm, they were in on it too, motherfuckers. No, the electricals were fine. Someone came and cut the wires. Someone came and cut the wires? Yeah. So... But that had to have been after the fire started because the lights were on when the when Jenny went downstairs to check on something that she heard. Oh. So, so all those people... Was, they all those, think it was napalm. Yeah. And then all those people that were like... That one guy that was like, these wires are bad said that it was probably the guy who cut the wires after they started the fire. And then the guy that was in on it was the investigator that said it was an electrical fire. There can't be an electrical fire if the wires are cut. Yeah, that's true. And you can't prove it anyways. It's bullshit science. Yeah, yeah. No, people just fucking guess to give people peace of mind. Like those those police officers that go in and go, it was started by this. No, that's just that's just for peace of mind. Or they'll be like, did you smoke inside the home? Yeah, she always smoked. No, it was, she was a cigarette fire fucking stupid so what do you think honestly like I just told you uh, there's just there's gotta be more than the whole Mussolini thing doubt it's gotta be more than that uh people are being killed over Donald Trump so I don't know that just sounds crazy because here's the thing, Italians hated Mussolini. 
when Mussolini died. Not all of them. Well, okay, so a lot of Italians hated Mussolini. Uh, they literally murdered him. Like, when they pulled out of the war and stuff, like a whole bunch of Italians murdered Mussolini. And his mistress. Or whatever you want to call it. That's just crazy to me. Uh, there might Kill over politics? Uh, killing over an opinion of politics. Killing over politics, period, is stupid. I don't know. When it's civilian to civilian, I think it's stupid. I'm not talking like civil rights and shit. That's not politics. That's human rights. I'm talking about... Like if there was a war between uh, Republicans and Democrats, that'd be fucking stupid. People are acting like there's going to be. I know. Yeah. They're like, oh, the left wouldn't win. They don't like guns. Like, Civil War is coming. No. No, it's not. Civil War for who? America? The United States of America? Fuck that shit. Canada yeah. can claim us. It'll be fine. Yeah, we'll go to Canada. <laughs> I, mean, I don't really have much more to add to this because it's hard to come up with a theory of why or what. There is there's damning evidence, but it's not- literally all there. You just can't pinpoint anybody to blame when the whole yeah. town was in on it. Nothing has been done for nothing has been done in the seventy five years since. And it's their happened. last investigator disappeared. Yeah, they sent a private eye to Kentucky, and he just never came back. They never heard from him. I'm not saying he disappeared. He might have been like, can't solve the case, I'm dipping. But that's super fucking fishy that they've never heard from him again. He probably got murked by the mafia. What the fuck? I don't know, let's leave it up to the viewers. What do you guys think? Ass. It was was Ted Cruz, wasn't it? And titties. Ass and titties. Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer. Yeah, he is the Zodiac. He's a time traveler. Yeah. Also a lizard person. You think so? Yeah. I think so. Only lizard people can time travel. Really? I don't know. I'm just fucking talking shit. I'm listening. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. What are, what are the Anunnaki? Lizard people. Are they lizard people? Yeah. Anyways, we're just going to leave it up <laughs> to the viewers. We have nothing else for you guys today. Bing bong. Bing bong. But bing ching chong, your religion's wrong. Uh, anyways, this is the Life Sauce Podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Allison. And thanks for listening. We're tired. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh. Oh. Hurry up. Hurry up. Push the button. Hurry up. Uh...